guys, and welcome to episode 46 of the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you for joining us for another Q&A with your hosts, Tiara and Jack. And if you do enjoy the episode, please remember to repost it onto your Instagram stories and tagging all of us as well. If you're also interested in finding out more about our coaching services, you can head over to our website, which is linked in the show notes, all of our Instagram bios as well, or you can just search www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com. Great. All right. So yeah, we're going to do a question answer episode today, but first things first, feel like we also need to give a bit of a life update and especially a recap of this past weekend because Jack and I were just down in Sydney this past weekend for the ICN national show and wow, what a few bunch of amazing days, man. We just had a great time down there. Yeah, the standard was like absolutely incredible and it was Tierra and I's first national show as well. And yeah, what an amazing experience. We stayed with the guys from Flex Success, so Coach Alan and two of his clients as well and Cameron who was helping out. And yeah, they did amazing. Alan got his pro card in bodybuilding. Sean got his pro card in men's physique. And Charlie got second in classic physique and placed in the open men's bodybuilding as well. Yeah, they all did such an amazing job down there. And yeah, Jack and I didn't even have any clients competing. We literally just went down to support the guys and enjoy the show, particularly the pro show. But uh, hell, it was one heck of a weekend. All six of us, you know, I was the only chick with five other bodybuilders staying in this tiny little airbnb and we had one tiny kitchen and a little bathroom but uh we made it work and jack and i got to sleep on this amazing sofa bed for three (laughs) nights straight so (laughs) yeah we uh got back a little bit sleep deprived but um it was so much fun and you know just waking up early in the morning alan mayo is pretty notorious for uh getting people up early and getting them to the gym so jack actually posted a picture of all six of us in the gym that first day that we got down on the friday and I think it's the first time in my life I've ever actually stood next to bodybuilders and actually felt a little bit jacked, like like I belong. So um, I don't know if I would have done that like two years ago, I would have looked like a skinny little rail, but uh, that was kind of (laughs) nice. Kind of felt like I fit in. Mm, Yeah, it was a great photo. And do you remember the guy who who took the photo? Oh, yeah, (laughs) because obviously Alan and, you know, Sean and Charlie and uh, Jack and Cameron, they all took their shirts off. Um, This guy that was in Anytime Fitness was we didn't even know him. He's like, oh, my God, can I get a picture of you guys? Like, it's like he'd never seen people with muscles before. It was um, it was really it was really cool. (laughs) You know, a very nice guy. But uh, yeah, the show was just amazing. So well run, the atmosphere. I just want to say congratulations to every single person, you know, who competed and all the, you know, supporters who listen to this podcast in particular, watching you guys up on stage, just shining. Like, wow, it was just amazing to see you all up there. Everyone put on such a show and no, Jesus, not to talk about the pro show, eh? that bodybuilding pro show. Mm, yeah, absolutely insane. And it, yeah, it was the first time that, yeah, I think we've ever seen a pro show. So yeah, what a great experience. Like congrats to Brandon Kempter who came first and Damo Forrest who got second. Like, yeah, it was a, would have been a very close call. 
Yeah, it was insane. And geez, Brandon, you know, he's a pro himself taking out the pro title. And then he also had a bunch of his own clients turn pro on the same day. So talk about being at the top in natural bodybuilding, eh? <laughs> mm, for sure, yeah. Yeah, it was just so well run, but uh, yeah, such an amazing weekend. But it feels good to be back now, you know, back into routine, back home and yeah, it's, it's, it's just really, really nice. And I think if Jack and I needed any sort of motivation to, you know, really push it with our own training and our own dieting, that was certainly the show to go to because geez, it was just, oh, it was amazing. And just seeing all the overall winners, you know, and seeing them up there and they make it so emotional with the music. Each time someone wins, you know, they turn on the Hall of Fame song or some like emotional Beyonce song or something. And you just get goosebumps in the crowd and you almost want to cry because you see the winner cry and you just know what it took to actually get to that place. And Jesus, I <laughs> I was moved. I I was moved more than any other like any movie I've ever watched. It was just uh yeah, wow. <laughs> mm, if you want to get motivated then go to a national bodybuilding show. Yeah, and I swear like the standard of natural bodybuilding here in Australia is probably the highest out of any country in the world, I would say. Yeah, bodybuilding is subjective. From, but... from what we've seen, you know, on social media and stuff, obviously we haven't traveled worldwide to natural bodybuilding shows. <laughs> yeah, but definitely from what we've seen on social media, like Australia, at least at the amateur level, is like really bringing it. Yeah, for sure. They hold their own. So, Jack, what's been up with you for the past week? So, yeah, I've had some a few niggles that I'm working on. So I had another six-week block of training and I'm deloading this week. And yeah, so I decided to deload. I probably didn't really need to, but I need to get ahead of a few little niggles that I have. So I dropped a couch on my toe during moving, which is, I rarely, rarely get un like non-gym related injuries, but this is not a good one. And I also have a bit of an elbow tendonitis issue as well, which a couple of years ago, I still would have kept training through it and it just would have haunted me for like a whole year. But I'm, I'm really trying to, be the like make the right decision and get on top of it now which and i i always say like what would i recommend to to a client of mine so and yeah that's what i would do yeah i'm so glad that you are staying on top of that and not jesus your toe does look pretty gnarly yeah. right now they did they definitely didn't put that in the warning for the ikea couch manual you know watch out for your feet yeah i think they well maybe i could try and sue them or something <laughs> Sue Ikea. Uh, yeah, you're definitely going to lose a nail there. <laughs> yeah, and how's your week going, Tiara? Yeah, so this week is good. So, um, oh man, so this is now, I've just entered my week seven of my prep, and this is actually my diet break week. And I feel a little bit mixed on emotions, you know, because obviously attending the show on the weekend like i just got such a huge boost of motivation and just like any comp prep competitor you know you don't want to slow down at all going to a show it makes you want to push harder train harder you know expend more energy drop your calories you want to get in shape faster right but uh, at the same time, you know, I started the week before, I really started to feel those, um, the effects of chronic dieting because I remember quite a few podcast episodes before I outlined, you know, the rough plan of my prep. 
and I said that I was going to diet consistently for six weeks before I plan a diet break because it's always around that six week mark that I really start to feel those effects of dieting and pretty much spot on they hit me, you know, like my weight started to do really funky things. I was consistently losing weight, got down to that low of 64.9 kilograms, and then my weight just randomly spiked. Like it spiked by like 800 grams, and then it was just stable there without changing really any lifestyle factors. I didn't change my diet at all. But at the same time, I felt really, really hungry, and I was also becoming a lot more food focused like really quickly. and. Obviously, as a dietitian, you know, I, it's part of my career to be a little bit food focused, but uh, I was feeling really, really food focused. My sleep was just getting really weird. You know, I was waking up a lot earlier, but the strange thing is I didn't necessarily feel like I needed a deload because my strength is still there in the gym and I'm actually still hitting all time PBs. It was really the dieting aspect. So, you know, I said, all right, this is part of the plan. You know, I need to take this diet break. and even though I don't necessarily want to because I want to keep pushing, I have to remind myself that, you know, I'm my own coach and I'm driving this, so I'm making the calls and I need to look after myself. And that's why I started my comp prep 25 weeks out so I can implement things like this, like diet breaks and really just take care of myself and really focus on the long game. So, uh, so yeah, this week I'm diet breaking. My carbs are at 325, protein is at 150, and fat is at 40 grams. And, you know, I'm still a few days in and uh, I already feel a hell of a lot better. So um, it's good. And uh, yeah, so diet breaking this week. And then next week I will become more aggressive with my dieting and I'm going to be going down to five low days and two high days. So looking forward to that. But uh, other than that, feeling good. Did a photo shoot yesterday and like a video shoot with VPA Australia, which is the supplement company that sponsors both Jack and I and this podcast. That was super fun. They have a bunch of new products coming out and um, that was just so fun to, you know, do that video shoot yesterday at World's Gym Brisbane. I can't wait to see the final footage. Yeah, it seems like a really great shoot. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see how your body responds to this diet break as well. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm really excited too. Okay, so getting into the first question of the podcast, this one's by Scott. He wants to know a little bit more about taking salt shots pre-workout because something that I've done in the past and have promoted. So he just wants to know how much salt do you dilute it with boiling water or add it to something else? How does it work in the body to help with a pump, etc.? So yeah, this is a really great question and something that we probably should have touched on a bit, a bit more rather than just saying have a salt shot pre-workout. So essentially, I would start off with half a teaspoon and I wouldn't really have more than that. And it's not like a magic sort of solution. Like I wouldn't even typically recommend it if you do salt your meals. So like I don't salt my meals. And when Tierra doesn't, she has a salt shot as well. But say if you're having potatoes for lunch or like an eggs, then if you put salt on that food or if you're eating a high sodium food anyway, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, exactly. You don't need to take a salt shot if you're already consuming adequate sodium throughout the day. And especially if you're already consuming adequate sodium in your pre-workout meal. But if Jack has something, you know, like oats with some yogurt, he's not going to put salt on that meal. So he'll have a salt shot. Or if I have something like oats and some nice cream, very little sodium in there. So I'll have a salt shot. And 
it really does make a difference in that case because especially on a very, very hot day, if you've consumed a meal pre-workout that's very low sodium, but also very high, like has a very high water content as well, you can, uh, during your workout, you can feel a little bit dehydrated. And because you have a larger proportion of fluid in you compared to sodium, your electrolytes can go a little bit out of whack. So you might find that you're actually peeing a lot and you also might get some muscle cramps just because you don't have enough sodium in your muscles to help with those contractions. And also if you're sweating a lot, you're probably losing sodium through your sweat too. So just take those things into consideration and like choose whether or not a salt shot may be appropriate for you. But Jack, if you were to have a salt shot, how do you take it? How do you shot it? So it's not meant to be taste good or anything. Like I've spoken to a few people before and they're like, wow, you just drink it with water. Doesn't that taste like crap? And yes, it does. I don't recommend putting it in your pre-workout because then your pre-workout will taste like uh, salt. Yeah, we learned from our mistakes there. <laughs> But yeah, literally just um, some salt water, shake it up and drink it. Yeah, there's no reason to use boiling water. You can just use literally a tiny amount of normal water. It's totally fine. But yeah, so Jack, like why does it help with the pump? So essentially salt will acutely increase your heart rate, blood pressure and blood volume as well. And blood volume is directly related to blood pressure, of course. And yeah, so essentially, obviously your muscles are comprised largely of water and of course blood as well and basically salt increasing blood volume will therefore result in a better pump yeah for sure and also you might notice that you have increased vasodilation so your veins you know those blue little mappy uh, rivers on your on your arms and your legs they will increase in size and they'll just become more visible when you take a salt shot and that's directly related to blood pressure as well because we have to remember that when we consume salt water follows sodium so you're going to retain more water hence that's why your blood volume increases and if your blood volume increases you're going to have more blood in your venous return system so your veins will be more pumped with fluid so that's what really helps to make you look a little bit more veiny yeah and i i will just finish this off by disclaiming that if you do have any like kidney issues or high blood pressure or you might be have experienced adverse effects from having excess sodium then just probably consult your health professional first and yeah yeah definitely all right so we'll move on to this next question which was asked by ben it says when taking a deload during a cut should you also bring your calories to maintenance so yeah, this is another good question and we just want to reinforce that there's never one best way to do something. There's going to be a multitude of right ways. So essentially, we both have different experiences with this one. And typically what I would recommend is I do think it's more beneficial to bring calories to maintenance during a deload, essentially just to promote more recovery uh, and those sorts of things as well and provide basically refill glycogen stores as well to an extent for that next week of training. And yeah, what do you think, Tiara? Yeah, so I think that it's going to be super client specific. You know, sometimes when clients are doing a cut and, you know, they hit that point in their training where they just feel very fatigued and they're showing a lot of signs that they need a deload. Sometimes, like, you know, it's always an open discussion. It's always about what they want to do. So sometimes 
they admit that, you know, it's really just, they're not necessarily feeling fatigued necessarily from the dieting, but it's more just, you know, the accumulation of training volume and overreaching that's really caused them to fatigue. And they feel like they need a deload because they feel like that they need that little bit of a break. So in that case, sometimes, you know, you might just keep calories the same because if they're keeping all other lifestyle factors the same, but they have a huge drop off for a week in their total training volume and a little bit of training intensity and training's really just not that difficult anymore. They're not expending as much energy. They might feel fine with that, staying at the same calories and just training like that, you know, keeping steps generally the same, really trying to get better quality sleep. But at the same time, you know, sometimes if you have a client and you recommend that they're in they're in a cut and you're like, hey, let's uh, coincide a diet break with the deload, they might not really feel very good about that because sometimes, and I'm sure we can all relate to this, if we take a diet break, right, and we bring our calories up and we have more energy, we have the energy to train and you want to train hard. So it might be really physically and mentally challenging for someone to have more energy, but you know, not be able to expend that because they're doing a deload session. So there's always, you know, there's a lot of different sides to it and it's really going to be client specific. So you just have to have a conversation with them. And, you know, Jackson Pios, who we uh, interviewed on the podcast quite a number of episodes ago, you know, he's kind of known as like the diet break guy, right? And he's spoken about this in podcasts too. And, you know, whenever he implements a diet break for one of his clients or one of his subject participants in his studies, it is usually correlated with their overreaching week so that they do have more fuel and more energy in order to really, really push training hard. Yeah, it's definitely a tricky one to choose from. And that's, again, it comes down to choosing what's best for that individual person. And to be honest, that's what most of our questions come down to as well. Yeah, but the good thing is to remember is that even if you do bring your calories up to maintenance, remember that's just maintaining your current body weight. So calories at maintenance isn't going to cause you to gain any weight. So you're not going to lose any progress in that case. So if you feel like, you know, you just really are run down and energy deprived and you want to coincide your deload with a maintenance period, there's perfect, that's perfectly fine. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because, you know, sometimes, and we talk about this all the time if you're spending less time in the gym and expending less energy in the gym you have more time to expend energy in other areas of life through increased meat so it's really going to come down to you so moving on to the next question which is by lawrence he asks how would you describe your mental approach slash level of arousal towards attacking a set damn this is a really good question so um, i'm gonna let you go first What's like, what's the biggest set or like an exercise that you really need to get psyched up for? Yeah, it's probably um, the upper body movements, to be honest, and more the pushing ones. So stuff like barbell overhead press or uh, sorry, flat bench press. And usually because they're the ones I take closest to failure or to failure um, much more often than I do for legs. And yeah, I find that I really need a good, pump up song or like uh like really high level of energy for that and yeah i found that interestingly enough like i don't necessarily need that as much for like squats or 
Romanian deadlifts or leg press and stuff like that. And I think that's probably because like I already feel quite nervous before those sets anyway. Um, nervous due to the intensity which I have to go to and like for me, for those ones, it's more about if I set my mind to it, like I'm, if I'm just, if I start the rep, I'm going to complete the rep and because I know where my limits are. So compared to like the bench press where you really do have to like, for, at least for me, you really have to put in that, that extra mental effort and that goes a long way for that movement for me. Yeah, I know even with you, you don't just listen to specific songs and turn them on straight away. You cue them at exact points when I'm about to spot you and set up so that, you know, like it's literally in time to the second for when you hit a specific rep, you'll hear a specific beat. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think, I think that's awesome, to be honest. Mm. What What's your favorite sort of music to listen to during a really intense set? Yeah, so back in the day, I used to do more like electronic sort of stuff, but now it's definitely uh, heavy metal, yeah, slash punk and, mm. or rock and stuff like that. Um, but definitely the harder one is definitely like, um, I'm like this band called Trivium at the moment, which is an Australian heavy metal band. Yeah, it's really good. Mm. If you like heavy metal, that is. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I I'm, on my like in my case, I don't necessarily like people who screaming at me. I'm kind of like, leave me alone. <laughs> you're you're always um, singing along when they're screaming and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Can you sing along to screaming? <laughs> I don't know. You do it quite well. Oh, well, thank you. I'm quite the uh, morning gale <laughs> with my screamo. <laughs> uh, but I guess when I have to think about when I set up for, you know, a really intense set, I definitely, I think that I imagine the set happening before I do it. And I do have a lot of confidence going into it. And I actually say out loud, you know, I'm like, going to get 10 reps. I'm going to get 10 reps. I'm going to get 10 reps. So I actually tell myself that and I have a lot of self-belief and confidence and I can really picture it happening. And, uh, definitely, you know, like I might walk around the gym a little bit, you know, I always do this little thing where before I do a set, I always shake my fingers and I kind of nod my head, usually listen to music too. And, um, yeah, I'm really just thinking about bench press right now. So yeah, just getting set up. It really does come down to just being in that zone, being fully focused, really like not having any distractions and you just have to be confident with it. And I'm a big believer in making the first rep strong. So starting off feeling strong with that first rep, because for example, if you're doing bench press, you know, and you unrack the bar you say to yourself, you're like, this is light. I can do this. And you bring it down to your chest, you push it up and you have lots of power, you know, and it feels good that like immediately sets you up so that you're like, okay, I can do this. I can hit that 10 reps. So yeah, it's going to be different for everyone. But I just say the biggest and what's thing your go -to is go-to music. My go-to music. I like, I really like pump music. I, I have different songs. Pump music. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> something that's pumped up. You know, I love something with a beat. I do like when people sing and I can sing along. I'm probably Jedi? one. Yeah, I love, I love Jedi. Uh, I love Eminem. I even love, you know, powerful Beyonce songs. Like there's a whole mix in there. But um, anything with a beat, you know, that I can sway and move my body to and be like, yes, I can do this. Um, it's always good. I think, yeah. 
I love the song Never Enough by uh, Eminem. That's always a good one. Or like when you're doing a really hard set of legs, I think that you can never beat Till I Collapse by Eminem. So mm, Nah, it's overplayed for me. Oh, no way. I remember when I used to do those freaking Smith Machine lunges and I would just like stare at myself in the mirror and I'd be like, why do you do this to yourself? But there'd be Eminem like singing in my ears and I'm like, okay, one more rep. <laughs> Yeah, so that's how we set up for sets. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we're even that hardcore compared to some other people. Yeah, definitely not. Someone like, you know... At least we don't scream when we lift and stuff. Yeah, Jesus. No, I'm definitely not a yeller. (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, moving on to the next question. This one's by A-Rod Nutritional, and he asks... How do you get through to family and close friends with strongly misinformed views on nutrition that aren't willing to listen? So have you ever come across like a situation like this? Probably not really family, but uh, more friends maybe, or maybe not even friends. But I guess I can hypothetically think about this. And to be honest, like unless it's going to be really hurting them, then I'm going to sort of leave it up to them in a sense. I will give them my opinion, but I'm not going to like hamper after them and get them to change what they're doing. If anything, the greatest extent I'd probably go to is just um, probably refer them to another allied health professional like a dietitian and yeah, or try and provide them with some sort of evidence-based information. Um, My family is quite like, I don't know, they're quite receptive to evidence-based practices. So if if I gave them like a research review or something like that, they would probably take it quite well. Yeah, definitely. And I think that if the person you're speaking to isn't willing to listen, I think that you should demonstrate that, you know, you're the bigger person and that you're willing to listen to them. And, you know, try your absolute best to not necessarily start an argument. Just, you know, listen to their point of view. And if they do have good points, acknowledge those, you know, and commend them on them. But still, you know, just make it very clear that you are open minded, you know, and provide your advice and opinion if it's warranted but you know if it's going to get into a fight you know and it's it's really not worth it i would really only think that it's it's worth you know really having a serious discussion if someone's health is at risk you know like if they are doing something that could chronically damage their health and it's just very very risky that's the point where i would step in and say like hey, you know, this probably isn't okay. Have you heard of this? But, you know, if someone's just like, yeah, I love, you know, I love having my apple cider vinegar in the morning and I buy, you know, a big, like, bunch of celery every single week so that I can juice it because it makes me feel really good about myself, you know, I'd be like, that's great, you know? (laughs) If if it's going to turn into a fight, you know, don't go there. Just move on with your day. It's not worth it because if the rest of their diet's just fine, you know, then uh, it's just, it's not, it's not necessarily worth it. It's only worth it if someone's health is at risk. Like not taking insulin if they're diabetic or something like that. Yeah. That's an issue. Exactly. So this next question is by Megan and she asks, What advice would you give on bulking slash building muscle to someone who has always focused on fat loss, particularly the mental aspect and how to avoid dirty bulking slash binging? So I think if I was speaking to this person for the very first time, I would make it clear that 
I understand how mentally difficult it would be to transition into this new phase because if they've always focused on weight loss and fat loss, you know, and they're so used to the scale going down and eating in a calorie deficit, then of course it's going to be it's going to be very challenging to, you know, swap over to putting on more weight, watching the scale slightly go up, eating more food. But I would just talk to them about their long-term goals, you know, and if their long-term goals are to positively change their body composition and build more muscle and feel stronger, you know, we would just need to reinforce that the most effective way to do that is to eat more calories and to have more energy. And I would really, really focus on the positives of being in an energy surplus, which is obviously having better training performance in the gym and better energy throughout the day and you just feel strong and capable and you're more willing to do things and you do have more flexibility in your life. You're not as hyper food focused and you know you can go out with your friends more often. You can eat out a little bit more because you just have more leeway. So I would really, really focus on the very, very positive components of that. Yeah, definitely. I agree with all of that. And even just thinking about a body composition standpoint, like I think Tierra and I both experienced this ourselves. And like, if you're constantly going in and out of a deficit and reinforcing disordered eating patterns, then like you really just don't make any progress. And your if your body composition is your goal, then you really that does really suffer because you're never in a consistent phase of energy surplus. And like speaking for our, for both of us and a lot of our clients as well, as soon as we do go into a surplus and put our clients into into a surplus, we end up going through a lot of body recomposition, which is like gaining muscle and losing fat at the same time. So you might gain weight, but you'll look even better for it. So yeah, sometimes it's just about making that decision and going for it and definitely seeking some external advice or aid or coaching in order to help you with that because it is quite a difficult decision to make yourself in a sense. And yeah, and we just have to remember how goddamn good it feels to be in a slight energy surplus and to have a little bit of excess energy. Honestly, like if you have been in a deficit for so long, once you finally let yourself chronically have more food and more calories, you're going to be buzzing. You're just going to feel so much happier and there's going to it's going to translate into so many different positive components and have so many positive ramifications on different parts of your life. So just enjoy it. It it is a really, really good experience. You know, there's a hell of a lot more things to life than just being in a chronic energy deficit and always focusing on losing weight. You know, life is a lot better than that. So moving on to the next question, this one asks, what tips for people in prep going through a tough situation in life causing anxiety? Man, so this is a good question and I'm sure a lot of people can relate because You know, anxiety is something that creeps up on everybody at some point or another. And like, I don't, I think it's pretty much impossible to go through a 25 plus week prep and at some point in your life, not experience a little bit of anxiety or feel anxious about something. But, you know, obviously Jack and I want to say right off the bat that we aren't psychologists, you know, that is outside our scope of practice. So if you are suffering from anxiety and it's really influencing your life, then I would seek professional help from a qualified allied health professional. But we just have to remember with anxiety, usually anxiety is brought upon by things that are out of our control, you know, 
things in life that we just have no control over and we just are anticipating to happen, right? And that that is, ah, God, it, it's awful. But what I would say is that if you are in a comp prep, try your best to focus on the things that you can control. So if you are in full control of, you know, your nutrition. So if you can meal prep and be in full control of exactly what you're eating, if you can be in full control of your schedule so that you know exactly what time you're going to be training and when you can get in your steps and you have a good sleep schedule, just staying on top of those time management skills, I think that will really help to relieve a little bit of the anxiety and a little bit of the stress because at least you can manage all of those things and you know that you are in complete control and you can execute all of those things no matter what happens. So that can kind of be something that you can mentally fall back on. Yeah, I 100% agree. And we've all heard of that like ridiculous saying where telling someone with anxiety to just not stress and or telling someone with depression to just cheer up a little bit like that's really ridiculous. And uh, that's why you kind of anxiety and depression and stuff are serious issues, I guess. And you should probably see a psychologist or allied relevant allied health professional for that. And because, yeah, they, they shouldn't be treated lightly. And I think Tia and I have like we've not necessarily ourselves, but we know other people who have um, been dealing with those experiences and stuff like that. So and I do completely agree with Tierra is that in that anxiety, it's sort of dealing with something that's out of your control. So it's kind of just embracing that you have no control over that. But then again, it's difficult to answer this one just because everyone will have different triggers and different experiences in that regard. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I would just say that something that's really helped me because like I do get quite anxious sometimes and sometimes I can be a little bit notorious for hyper-focusing on little stupid things in life that just stress me out. And it's almost like those little things are at the forefront of my brain and they just completely cloud everything else that is so wonderful in my life. And that's why I'm so grateful that I have Jack because sometimes he's just like, Tiara, stop, relax. Like, it doesn't matter. You're you're stressing over a bill about pool chemicals or something totally random, right? True story. <laughs> True story. My, my previous share house, I keep getting all these random bills from pool chemicals back in 2015 when I didn't even live there and I'm like I'm not paying for this (laughs) anyway the stupidest shit right but what I'm trying to say is that try to remove that negative little thing at the forefront of your brain that's clouding everything else and try to replace it with something that's positive so that at the forefront of your brain you can always have something really positive you know like man I had a really good training session today or like those oats are really good. Oh, my, I can't, like, my breakfast tastes so good. Or <laughs> just little things like, oh, I can't wait to go home and see my dog or my new puppy or uh, just anything. Try to put something really positive, you know, at the front, you know, like, oh, I'm going to get to go on a holiday in two weeks. I can't wait to lay on the beach in the sun and, you know, push all that negative shit to the back because it does not belong at the front. So yeah, that's my uh, two cents. But um, okay, so we'll move on to another one. All right, so this one was asked by Corinne and it says, how do you approach tracking food while eating out? 
So Tia and I have a number of different approaches to this situation. And the one I typically recommend most often, and I think is the easiest as well, is basically allocating a calorie amount for that particular meal you're going out to. So let's say you're going out to dinner, you have around 3000 calories per day to work with. Set yourself like, be quite generous and typically overestimate what you need. So let's say a thousand calories for that dinner meal. Then leading up to that dinner meal, I would get in the protein that I need throughout the day because the, the meal at dinner might not have adequate protein. Get in your fruits and vegetables leading up to that meal as well. And that has your basis covered in terms of like um, nutrient quality, um, fiber, the protein distribution throughout the day as well. And that basically just leaves yourself with a free meal. Well, not free, but you've allocated a thousand calories for it. Hopefully but- <laughs> someone else pays for it and it's free. <laughs> Uh, well, I was thinking about free in terms of like free calories, but no, <laughs> alas, no. But yeah, giving yourself a thousand calories for that, that you can work with. And even looking up the restaurant before, which might seem a bit over the top, but at the end of the day, it does help. And just planning, like let's say you're going out to Thai, pick which curry that you want and stuff like that, that you think will fit that allocation the best. Yeah, I think those are great recommendations. And I think the last thing I'll add is that You know, if you do order a meal out and you want to estimate what it was, don't just put like a generic thing into MyFitnessPal. So for example, if you go out for a meal and you order like a Caesar salad, right? Don't just look up Caesar salad on MyFitnessPal and pick the first one because you're really just taking a stab in the dark. So what I would do is if you do order a meal and because, you know, you're probably quite used to tracking, you're probably pretty good at estimating portion sizes, things like that, split up the meal into its main components. So the main most energy dense components. So if you got a chicken Caesar salad, you know, split it up into the chicken component and enter that into MyFitnessPal. Maybe put in the croutons, maybe put in the Parmesan cheese, maybe put in the, you know, uh, creamy Caesar dressing, little things like that. Uh, And then that way it's more likely to be slightly more accurate and you know you can probably disregard the very very low energy things like the vegetables in the salad like the lettuce and the onions and all that jazz but um yeah definitely setting yourself a certain amount of calories and overestimating is a really good way to go especially the overestimating part because if you do go out for meals like thai and chinese things where they're cooking in big walks like they're not just putting one tablespoon of oil in there guys they're putting like 10 tablespoons and i can say this very confidently because i worked as a waitress in a thai restaurant for like over four years and they literally had these buckets of vegetable oil right above the walks and they put this big ass ladle in the bucket and they just pour oil into the wok and just throw in all the vegetables and i'm like oh my god (laughs) so much oil but obviously chefs don't care about you know your weight loss goals or whatever chefs want you to eat their food and enjoy it and fat carries flavor so obviously a lot of oil a lot of fat in a meal makes it taste good but yeah Please, please, please overestimate. Sounds like you still have nightmares about that oil. (laughs) Maybe when I was going through my eating disorder phase at like, you know, back in 2014, but I don't, I don't have nightmares anymore. I just want to warn people. (laughs) (laughs) Spread the word, a hero to the people. Spread the oil. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to finish on our last question for the day. And this says, 
Do you think a natural bodybuilder stands a chance to make it into the pro leagues? So yeah, I think basically what he's trying to say, the question asker is, can a natural bodybuilder make it um, into the like IFBB pro league where he's competing against other enhanced athletes and he's a natural athlete? Yeah, and uh, you know, this is definitely a good question to follow on from the past weekend, you know, seeing those pro natural bodybuilders up on that stage. Yeah, and the week before that, we were at the IFBB uh, Brisbane show. So, and yeah, to be honest, like, I'm, yeah, I did prefer the ICN national show where all the nat- natties were at. Yeah, dude, there was a there was a pro bodybuilder up there that was 98 kilograms and lean. And I was just like, oh my God, I was gobsmacked when he walked out on the stage and they're like, this guy at 98 kilograms. And I'm like, Jack, what the, f- this is natural bodybuilding. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And yeah, I'm sure they drug tested him afterwards, but... <laughs> Um, well, yeah, they drug tested all the pros, but yeah. Anyway, what do we think about this? So yeah, I think it definitely is possible. You will have to have like utterly crazy supreme genetics in order to do that. I'm not going to say it's not possible, but yeah, even, even going to the Brisbane show, like, I'm sorry, the Brisbane IFBB show, like Alan, who is our friend, um, he's like one of the top tier natural bodybuilders in the country, in my opinion. And he went to just a local Brisbane IFBB bodybuilding show. And well, it was the Queensland state championships. Yeah. The Queensland state championships. And yeah, he, he placed first in first timers, I think. And he placed in novice as well, but, um, like he still didn't have the muscularity to compete against the other bigger guys. And that was just in classic physique, not even open bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like I, I love Alan, but like, that's just, yeah, he would completely agree with me. Yeah, that certainly is the reality of it. It's definitely going to come down to your genetics and also I think which division you enter as well. So for example, in the pro leagues for bodybuilding, I'd say it's very, very, very difficult for a natural bodybuilder to hold their own on something like the Olympia stage, right? But it's probably more possible for someone like a men's physique competitor or... Mm. Uh, uh, nowadays, no, yeah, I don't think nah. so. They're bodybuilders in broad shorts. Yeah, that's true. It, uh, God, it, it's really, really tough to say. Yeah, and because the essentially like a natural bodybuilder might be able to get to a similar size, but they sort of do just lack that pop that comes with enhanced an enhanced look, especially like the capped shoulders and all those other sorts of things. And so, yeah, like it's really just going to come down to those supreme genetics um, that are going to be like literally one in a million or one in 10 million or something like that. Yeah. But even, you know, at the show on the weekend, there was definitely this guy who competed in men's physique who actually Alan helped pump up and he was a natural bodybuilder himself, but shit, he looked like he could have been on an IFBB level. He was next level, but he was also next level genetics too. But you can't dismiss obviously hard work and dedication and obviously the years that these guys train as well. Yeah, but there will, there will always be those guys out there who literally they're two years old, they come out of the womb or something and they have like a six pack. And yeah, actually, interestingly, my cousin's a bit like that. He's like, think yeah he's pretty young now like he's um still a young teenager but uh he's very jacked so like Mm. yeah maybe i might take him under my wing and (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know, Jack. I'd say you're pretty Jack too. So, uh, but I guess, okay, in short, what are we saying? You know, are we saying, is it possible for a natural bodybuilder to hold their own? Yes, I think so. I bet it's just going to come down to that like one in 10 million. Yeah. So it's going to be rare, but it can happen. Never say never. Okay, so we're going to end on our very last question for the day, and that is one thing that we learned this week. So, Jack, what did you learn this week? So, yeah, I was listening to a podcast yesterday with Dr. Mike Isretail. I'm sure many of you have heard of him, and if you haven't, then definitely search him up. He yeah, provides a lot of great info. Um, he's often on the Revive Stronger podcast. So, yeah, he was describing this study that I'm probably going to butcher in terms of the, the, the description, but uh, hopefully I can get the gist of it across. So essentially, there were two groups in this study, and one group did a period of overreaching in their training. And overreaching is essentially like an increase, um, dramatic increase in volume and or intensity. And that's usually done in the final week of a training block to basically... Um, in lack of a better word, like rinse, like rinse the their maximum volume that they can handle and try and accumulate any additional benefits. And that group did about two thirds of the amount of volume. And I think they even took off a, ho- a few, like one to two weeks of training um, in order to, they didn't just reduce the volume by a set, so they actually just didn't train at all. And the other group basically did um, more volume, I think a third more volume, but they didn't do that period of overreaching. And essentially, the both of the groups had um, the same amount of hypertrophy at the end. So it kind of goes to show that um, overreaching is something that maybe we should be doing. Like there still isn't enough research on it yet to have a definitive answer, but it's looking quite promising. And yeah, something that we we probably do take into consideration with our training. Um, the only thing that I need to be, or we both need to be wary of is just the increased risk of injury in doing that. Yeah, definitely. When you uh, get to the end of that overreaching week, you feel it. And you just take a deep breath and you're like, okay, it's time to deload now. But yeah, it, uh, it, it really does feel good, you know, to overreach. And I'd say overreaching is pretty much when you're taking your main exercises to that one rep in reserve, zero reps in reserve for each set. Yeah. Mm. So you're really, really you, trying yeah, to push it. In you that. can increase sets as well. Like mm. if you're doing four sets, you can do it, increase it to five on that last week or yeah, something similar. Really just increasing that training volume and uh, that last week. It's just, it's tough, man. Yeah, and what did you learn this week, Tierra? Can't wait to hear. Oh, God. (laughs) I think I learned this week that I just need to be freaking careful, okay? Like, if anyone knows me, they kind of know that I'm notorious for always having some sort of scrape or bruise on me. Like, I said... What did you do this week, Tierra? Oh, God. This week I sat on the fridge. (laughs) And you're probably like, how the hell did you sit on the fridge? But uh, it was like, you know, we just got home from Sydney. I feel like all of my bruises and scrapes from the week before had all healed. And I looked at my legs and my arms and I'm like, damn, you know, I don't like nothing's purple here. But I opened up the fridge door and you know, like how on the the shelves on a fridge, you know, they stick out, obviously the little ones where you put milk in and stuff. I opened up the fridge door and then I sat down too quickly to put the eggs in. And I just sat on one of those shelves and now I have a big ass bruise on my butt cheek. And (laughs) geez, I just need to be careful. Like one time I walked into an umbrella. (laughs) Who does that? And I had a huge bruise on my leg for like three or four weeks. It was, it was awful. So, um, 
so yeah like at least two weeks out from my first comp i'm gonna just wrap myself in like bubble wrap so i don't get hurt because <laughs> if you guys ever meet tiara in person don't hug her too hard either <laughs> otherwise she'll bruise oh gosh jack took my skin folds once on my bicep and i got a bruise and oh man i'm just i'm tough but i'm fragile and uh sometimes i can be a little bit clumsy <laughs> See, that's what I learned. I just need to be really careful, okay? <laughs> All right, so guys, that is the end of our 46th podcast episode. Thank you so much again for tuning in. If you enjoy these episodes, please feel free to take a screenshot, upload it to your Instagram stories, tag myself, tag Jack, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, tell your family and friends about it, and we'll catch you next week. See you guys.